Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you've been listening for any length of time to my episodes, then hopefully you're pretty familiar with my favorite shape by now, the pyramid. Hey, consumer alert, scammers are already looking forward to the holiday season. You may have seen a scheme making the rounds on social 13 media. 13 Action News anchor Leslie Manian explains what you need to know so your child doesn't fall victim to a pyramid millions scheme. millions working from home with those so-called business While it's the ideal shape for someone such as myself, there are some drawbacks to it, such as pyramid schemes. A person at the tippity top of said pyramid, perhaps like a CEO of a multi-level marketing company, makes all the money while distributors and so-called business owners at the bottom make little to nothing. Recruitment is the only viable way to truly earn money in a pyramid scheme. And if you can't recruit a ton of people, then you're bound to lose money more than you are to make it. Does this sound like any other form of recruitment you might know? trying to persuade someone to join your lifestyle, insisting that they tell their friends who tell their friends and vice versa, making not only loyal followers, but perhaps disciples of your lifestyle. Turns out when religion blends with a pyramid scheme, some pretty messed up stuff can happen. The prosperity gospel itself has been described by the gospel coalition of all things as the worst pyramid scheme out there. And I'm certain many of you know what that is, even if the name isn't quite familiar. The prosperity gospel is the shady, questionable promises that megachurch pastors like Joel Osteen preach. Coronavirus is, is faith in its ability to hurt you or kill you. Your job's not your source. Jesus is your source. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Why don't you make a financial vow to the Lord right now while I'm talking to you, if you're facing a problem, and watch what God will do with you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And I said, Lord. Basically, it's the whole give God all your money and time and trust, and he'll surely bless you tenfold kind of language. Now, even though that's not God's bank account your money is going into, if you catch my drift, this is the premise. This prosperity or health and wealth gospel, depending on what you've heard it called, fits the pyramid scheme model in three main ways. For one, they both rely on the deceptive success of the guy at the top, the megachurch pastor, the CEO of that MLM, the founder of the pyramid scheme. They all claim to have found success, happiness, and fulfillment in their lives thanks to whatever it is they're pitching. As TGC puts it, the people who fund the prosperity pastor's success, in other words, are the people at the bottom of the pyramid. Of course it works for him, he's at the top. Secondly, and unsurprisingly, it's a lie told to the desperate. These kinds of churches aren't about teaching God's love, but the wealth God can offer you. 
Apparently, in poorer countries and in prison systems, the prosperity gospel is sometimes the primary, if not the only form of Christianity that's ever preached because it preys on desperate people. Plus, the MLMs that want bigger downlines don't stress how many fail. They showcase deceptive success stories and stress that this is the answer to climbing out of poverty. Not only is it a lie, but it's an oppressive lie at that. TGC also argues that the prosperity gospel feeds into the idolatry of the super rich. Have you ever wondered why celebrities and wealthy individuals would bother with this kind of preaching? It could be that they adore money so much that they want to believe that by planting small monetary seeds, they can have even more. And no, this isn't to say that all religions or faiths are comparable to MLMs, but the church slash cult that we're gonna be talking about today definitely has a few glaring similarities. The International Church of Christ answers the question, what happened if I took the religious aspect of recruiting disciples, stuffed it into a pyramid scheme, and then ignored the disturbing behavior that happened as a result? Hello, and welcome to Multi-Level Mondays. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be talking about ICOC, or the International Church of Christ. I've loathed the gross model of the prosperity gospel for some time now, but the ICOC somehow takes it one step further. And the acronym I know is ICOC, but in my head every time I'm just saying ICOC, and I'm like, this is, this is just bad news for me, but I digress. Truthfully here, there is a trigger warning for today's episode, and this episode is going to discuss molestation and pedophilia, very serious, very sensitive topics. If you're not in the headspace to hear it, feel free to skip today's episode entirely. Now, it started with Crossroads. The Crossroads, if you are not aware, was a traditional Christian movement that introduced shepherding or discipling methods starting in the 1960s and 70s out of Gainesville, Florida. And why is it always Florida? These principles were and are fucking weird, just to be honest here. Basically, the elders at the Church of Christ in Gainesville hired this guy, Chuck Lucas, to be a campus minister he started the Campus Advance Outreach, which basically meant targeting young college kids who were still trying to find their way in life. The biggest principle that came from this and that really made someone a crossroader was that you needed to make disciples, go get more sheep and become a shepherd for Jesus. That was the theory. We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said amongst the nations, the Lord has done great things. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. One of these shepherds was Kip McKean, who was baptized in 1972. And here's where things go south. Apparently, McKean, as well as another crossroad minister named Roger Lamb, were fired in 1977 because of, quote, false and deceitful doctrine and promoting controlling practices. In just five years from being baptized, Kip had done enough irredeemable and manipulative actions to get him fired. 
I tried to figure out exactly what these practices were. And according to Ryan Britt from reveal.org, Kip would expect his closest disciples to identify so thoroughly with him that they might today be mistaken for the first signs of human cloning. A weird statement, but creating a bunch of mini-me's like you're the villain in Austin Powers isn't an actual crime, nor did it seem to be the only shady thing going on. But if you keep reading, Ryan Britt claims that these practices weren't the only fucked up thing at Crossroads. Instead, he says that Chuck Lucas, the father of the movement, took part in, and I quote here, sexual perversion and monosexual activity with younger men in his ministry. In other words, molesting children and irrefutable evidence was given to the elders to prove that this had been happening for quite some time. Or as this article stated, but in 1986, the fit hit the shan. I have no idea why it's worded this way, but yes, fit hit the shan when people learned of Lucas's actions and Mr. X, the author of Toxic Christianity, detailed the events, claiming to know about it because they served on the ministry staff that assisted in covering up the real reason for his termination. First of all, it's pretty fucked up that the author of this book admits they helped to cover it up. Like, I hate to break it to you, but if you assisted in hiding this, then you're part of the problem too. And honestly, again, just kidding. I don't hate to break it to him. I love calling out horrific people for their actions and exposing them. It's kind of my thing at this point, though I really just don't like the word exposing. Secondly though, this is where Kip, the future founder of the ICOC got his start, hero worshiping a child molester. Of course, I can't be sure how Kip felt about this once the news broke, nor do I know how aware Kip was that Chuck was doing this. Still, if he truly wanted to make a difference and change the organization from the harmful environment it had become, then he sure as hell didn't show it. See, once Chuck was out, Kip could start to become the new leader within the Crossroads movement. As this article puts it, if Chuck was the pioneer of this faith, Kip was its perfecter. And rather than make these ideals more transparent, honest, and less controlling, he went to the opposite extreme, supposedly using tactics that his high-ranking US Armed Forces father passed on to him. His father's ideals taught him, quote, how it should be structured, how subordinates should be managed, how traitors and weaklings should be dispatched, how individuality should be smothered, and how even friendship and loyalty should be subordinated to the objective of victory. And apparently Casper just had to take this opportunity to just go ahead and give himself a good shake and a good refluffing. So hello, Casper, thank you for joining today's episode. After all, as we've seen in strict Christian and even Christian-based cults before, many of these extremists feel they are fighting battles for God and not in any loosely interpreted sense, but in a very real literal way. When Kip built his army of followers, that doesn't just mean he had people that were loyal to him, it means he was really treating them like soldiers, including the negatives that come with that. By the time 1979 rolled around, most people realized the crossroads method just wasn't working. Chuck being ousted as a pedophile only cemented this. However, Kip wasn't quite done with crossroads yet. Instead, he found his perfect recruiting ground, Boston, and thus began the Boston movement, where the Boston Church of Christ was founded he found a tiny dying church and rebuilt it using crossroads methods the following decade, about a year after Chuck Lucas was terminated. With burning sulfur from the heavens. Yet he spared Lot. If anyone questions- Whereas crossroads instilled excessive fear and guilt, Kip would go on to prey on emotions and tell members how bad they are, how they were going to hell. Crossroads assigned people prayer partners and in Boston, they were called discipleship partners. These partners in either movement would basically act as spies to use their secrets against each other, 
tattling to leaders to maintain control. Even if Kip himself wasn't a child molester, he was directly following in the footsteps of one. Like, I'm sorry, but you were part of a movement and realized the founder was using it to hurt people and gain a position of power. Wouldn't you do everything to ensure that that doesn't happen again? I feel like this is just common sense. Like this is a common chain of thought here in logic, but apparently it's just not. Instead, Kip decided to recreate the same harmful, toxic, and downright criminal environment. And it wasn't long before that started to show again. After the fit hit the shan, and I'll never get over hearing that, the Boston movement started growing in full force. Making sheep and listening to your shepherd was Kip's main prerogative, so you can imagine how happy that made this once tiny, dying church. He also formulated what became known as a trademark doctrine, baptism as a disciple. In other words, Kip redefined what it means to be baptized. To him, it wasn't just about fully committing to Christ, but to church leaders too. Anyone who hasn't been baptized in a specific way wasn't actually Christian anymore, at least according to Kip's teachings. A resurgence of baptisms took place and former members have referred to this period between 1986 to 1988 as the Great Reconstruction. Kip split from the movement his child molesting leaders had started and in 1993 spread it so far beyond Boston that it earned itself a new name, the International Churches of Christ. They were viewed as one of the fastest growing churches, sending missionaries all over the world. From the outside looking in, this may have just seemed like another giant branch of Christianity that focused heavily on evangelism, but on the inside, things were already falling apart. According to some sources, for every three people that joined, two left. They didn't really have 70,000 members. In 1994 alone, about 20,000 abandoned the movement altogether. And as more people left, the more their concerning stories began to spread. They said they'd been spiritually abused and robbed of their freedom, time, and money. The ICC or ICOC, depending on what source you're reading, also has used some pretty common cult-like tactics to draw people in, such as love bombing showering new members with friendships and the feeling of belonging so that they may be keener on putting up with worse treatment as time wore on. And this was apparently by design. Former leader Scott Deal explained, quote, "'Once you get them into the activity, you find out who's a little bit interested. Then you start becoming their best friend. That's the whole idea. We teach people that you need to get in there and become that person's best friend. Liking them had nothing to do with it. And also doing it carefully enough where they don't alarm their parents. And if we ever met parents, we try to come off as innocuous and as harmless and as typical as a church on the street. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty damn manipulative to me. And I wanted to find out a few more details from those that had been through this. And thankfully, I found an article from couple Joe and Louise Cranock entitled, Why We Left the Boston Movement. They explained that after becoming Christians in 1980, they entered ministry full time. And in 1986, they even sold their hair salon to move to Boston with dreams of going on a mission to Italy. Joe and Louise had high hopes. They were told that Boston was on the cutting edge and they'd be freer to express themselves there. But these promises didn't come to fruition. The eldership constantly shoved evangelism down their throats and everyone was constantly on a guilt trip about being fruitful or not, as they put it. At least one thing did come true though. In 1989, they were asked to become part of the Los Angeles mission team. No, it wasn't Milan, Italy like they dreamed of, but it was exciting all the same. Once they arrived, the couple was, however, faced with some new hardships. 
They had to find jobs and a home and kept struggling financially, all while having to study their Bibles and be personally discipled and shepherded by the elders. Joe was advised not to go to his sister's second marriage ceremony simply because it was her second time. And Louise was rebuked for not showing up to her weekly Bible talk meeting due to her strep throat. And she was further criticized for having her husband tell the leaders that she couldn't make it instead of her saying it herself. Louise stated, quote, I realized that no matter how hard I tried, it was never good enough. After sacrificing jobs, free time with their daughter, and basically their mental health too, they moved back to San Diego, where they had been living in the first place. Though Joe and Louise were guilted, scolded, and marked by the church, they simply couldn't take it anymore. And who could blame them, honestly? It's great that they had the ability to leave, to say no more, and move on. But now, imagine if they didn't have each other. Instead of this being a married couple, what if it was one isolated, lonely individual? Could they build up their finances as easy? Have the nerve to stick up to the elders alone when they have no one backing them? Or what if their partner wanted to stay? Would they have the capability of leaving then? That's not to say that one person couldn't do something like this, but it's understandable why it would be so difficult. However, at the turn of the millennia, that grip did start to loosen, whether leadership wanted it to or not. Depending on who you are, you may see the internet as one of the worst or one of the best things to happen to humanity, or perhaps a mixture of both. In this case, it was a very good thing. In 1995, discussion groups on Usenet, the internet's bulletin board system, started talking about the ICOC. Pages from former members started cropping up until a formal organization discussing them was created, reveal.org, which of course is one of my sources used for today's episode. Leaders started to quit and more and more fallaways, the term used for ex-members, began telling their story. Soon, the period between 1999 to 2001 became known as the revolving door. You might think this isn't an apt name because the revolving door implies there are also members coming in, but you'd be mistaken. Over 83,000 disciples left the movement, but in that three-year span, about 102,000 joined. Elders were desperate, pushing for more people, which they got, but the turnover rate had skyrocketed. Remember how earlier for every three people that joined, two left? Now, statistically, for every five people that joined, 4.1 people left. And no, I don't mean that four people and one hand walked out the door. Those are just the averages, but you get what I'm saying. But one of those that left was none other than Kip himself. While it wasn't exactly by choice, it still occurred. There was no way Kip could ignore the absolute deluge of accusations coming in. People said he was hypocritical, abusing his power, and that he wouldn't take accountability for his actions. Some pretty minor stuff for a supposed cult leader, if we're being honest, though it gets much worse in a bit, so bear with me. Kip said that he had character sins and weakness, just like the pedophile that came before him. Both of them claimed to be imperfect men in a perfect system, as Reveal put it, trying to keep the movement alive and keep followers loyal. Even in Kip's resignation letter, his apology is weak. It reads, quote, "'I would like to apologize to all the Christians in all the churches for the things I have done that have tempted some to drift from God. I take full responsibility for how my sins have spiritually weakened and embittered many in our churches. I also take full responsibility for the spiritual condition of my family. I have pleaded to God to forgive my many sins and I deeply desire your forgiveness as well. I am very, very sorry.'" Please pray for me that someday these tears, which are no longer shed in self-pity, but because I have hurt God and his people, will give birth to a joyous harvest of righteousness. 
And that sounds like a pretty sincere apology, right? That is until, and I say this with no mincing of words here, dude, your members fucking raped people. What kind of shitty inadequate apology is this? But excuse me, I am getting just a little bit ahead of myself. Since the full extent of manipulation wasn't known at this time, some people still called his sabbatical puzzling and wrote how Kip at one point said that it was a sin if the church wasn't growing. How Kip controlled his followers was very purposeful here. And while this apology may sound like it was taking responsibility, it was not. He doesn't even name what he did wrong for starters. It's just, I take full responsibility for my sins and I hope that God and you will forgive me. That might sound like a decent start for some, but you're not really owning up to actions when you refuse to acknowledge them. If he said, I manipulated my followers out of their finances and freedom for my own personal gain, then maybe, just maybe, I'd have a shred of respect for that, but he doesn't, so I don't. It's a weak apology from a weak man. In the years that followed, the ICOC did change their structure in an attempt to salvage the influence they once had. Long-term members said that the early 2000s were a time of discipline by God for getting haughty and quote, pharisaical in our attitude and our approach. To call love bombing and manipulating members a haughty thing shows me that, at least in my opinion, they haven't learned a damn thing. It's not haughty to treat people like shit. It's just shitty. And that's haughty, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, just FYI, not H-O-T-T-Y. Even if in 2012, the ICOC claimed that they were steering their message back to Jesus and away from discipleship, recognizing they were far too heavy on evangelism in the past, this isn't the end of the story, not by any means. Because just a couple months ago, a bombshell report from the Rolling Stone revealed that the ICOC was far worse than almost anyone had ever believed. And before we take a look at those damning new revelations and accusations, I'm going to take a quick moment to put today's sponsors here. I am telling you another small little warning here. When we return from the ad break, it's gonna get nasty in here. So just seriously, a heads up. Make mealtime easy with delicious recipes made with fresh, wholesome ingredients delivered to your door. No lines, no hassle, just great tasting meals that you can whip up and enjoy in the comfort of your home. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Delicious dinners are a cinch with HelloFresh's chef-crafted seasonal recipes that come in ingredients that are already pre-portioned, so all you have to do is cook and enjoy. And they have recipes that are ready in 30 minutes or less with over 40 weekly recipes to choose from. This week, I decided to spice things up and I'm literally receiving my box today. And inside of it should be Southwest beef cavatappi, some bulgogi pork tenderloin and lemon garlic chicken and green beans, which I've heard are all delightful. Also on the menu for this week were vegan curried chickpea lettuce wraps, which I wanted to try, but I don't know, something in me this week was just not feeling lettuce wraps, but it looks really damn good too. So if you're ready to get cooking, make sure you go to hellofresh.com MLM60 and use code MLM60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com MLM60 and use code MLM60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Today's episode is also sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Now, how do you feel when you get a great deal online? I bet you feel just a little bit clever because I know I do because I feel like I'm just getting free money. 
Like here I was prepared to pay full price and then Honey pops up and goes, hey, how about a 15% off coupon or a 20% or even a 30%? And you go, actually, thank you. That would be just lovely. Well, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past because Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. All you do is do your shopping as normal. And when you go to checkout, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons, wait a couple seconds as Honey searches for coupons. And if it finds a working one, you'll watch prices drop. I think many of you know that the price of pretty much everything has gone up. And uh, I've noticed that in pizza when it comes to buying pizza for the weekly D&D sessions. Like why the hell has pizza gotten so expensive? But anyway, Honey helps me find a couple coupons here every single time so that I can save some money. And Honey doesn't just work on desktops, it works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com MLM. That's joinhoney.com MLM. Now, here's the thing. If you've been sexually assaulted, there's a window of time that you have to report the crime known as the statute of limitations. While this may make sense for some things, I think it's extremely fucked up that this exists whatsoever in cases of childhood sexual abuse. Thankfully, this is an old problem. Pretty recently, in fact, these limitations have been removed. California was one of the first to do so and said that anyone who had previously been unable to pursue legal action against their abuser could now do so within a three-year window of time. Three years might sound like a long time, but it's really not. And holy shit, did cases come flooding in. Almost a thousand clergy abuse victims sued, while about 150 other victims sued churches, the Boy Scouts, and other institutions directly, according to the LA Times. Cases piled up, proving what an issue child sexual assault is. It's not a new problem by any means. As Joelle Castiz, a spokesperson for the California chapter of the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests explained, It's an old problem that has been covered up for far too long. Now, I'm sure you can guess what happens next, but ICOC was the subject of one of these lawsuits as well. Five women stepped forward and said that they were victims of the ICOC cult. Not just them either, but its affiliates, Hope Worldwide, Mercy Worldwide, and their splinter organizations too. Their suit directly named Kit McKean, and as you guessed it, his now deceased, allegedly pedophile mentor, Chuck Lucas as defendants. And no, Kip wasn't named as someone that was merely responsible because he was in charge. The lawsuit alleges that he was acutely aware of the sexual and psychological abuse endured by church members, and he did nothing. And this is why I said earlier, his apology was absolute garbage. That's why his whole, I take full responsibility line is as useless as whatever other bullshit this man has spewed. He didn't own up to anything. Now, hopefully he may have no choice. And let me warn you now, things will get a bit graphic from this point on as I discuss the claims. While I'm not going to go into vivid detail, it still may be difficult to hear. Darlene Diaz, Bernice Perez, and Ashley Ruiz said that they were only children when David Saraceno molested them when they bathed. Apparently, though Diaz and Perez warned their mother, their sisters, the church actually had the nerve to warn Saraceno and give him the opportunity to flee. Not only that, but the church gave him the opportunity to hurt others and Saraceno took them up on it. He raped a four-year-old child and was eventually sentenced to prison. This guy, according to the prosecutors, is one of the worst out there. The judge that sentenced him said that he's the type of person for whom maximum sentences are designed. 
Not only that, but Saraceno was on America's Most Wanted for a time, and even when caught, he tried to recite scripture and imply that only God could judge him. The judge that sentenced him clearly disagrees. Hell is too cold for him in my opinion, but the fact remains, this four-year-old child may not have faced such horrific abuse and trauma if the ICOC held him accountable. But sure, Kip, go ahead and keep taking that full responsibility. Why don't you go share a cell with Saraceno then, right? I think that would be a good start if you actually want to be held accountable for your actions. But unfortunately, this isn't the only case either. Ashley Ruiz said that about 25 years ago, again, when Kip was still leading the place, she was sexually abused in the ICOC. She was just five years old. Another member, Salud Gonzalez, also said that when she was 15, she'd been sexually assaulted by the head Sunday school teacher. Not only did they continue to let the man lead the program, but two years after, they paired her with a 30-year-old to be her boyfriend. Her abuses were reported, church leaders knew this went on, and they told her father, what do you want me to do about it? And here's the answer to that question. Fire the person, put more protection in place, believe children and women and anyone that steps forward and investigate those claims. Make it known that this is not okay. But those things didn't happen. How I see it, this is a manipulative controlling cult. Common sense isn't common among the leaders, yet somehow it still gets worse than doing nothing. Elena Petoya said that when she was raped by an ICOC member in 2012, Hope Worldwide leaders, quote, victim blamed her and called her a slut for several months before kicking her out of the church for being a liability. ICOC is a disgusting joke, pretending to be a friendly, cheerful, and loving group of folks while allegedly brainwashing anyone they can. They let their most vulnerable members suffer in silence while elders silence criminal activity. Their disciples or shepherds that guide other members aren't that at all. As the lawsuit says, they're more like jailers. I hope that more continue to come forward and that ICOC and Kip Bikin are held responsible for the atrocities they've committed. You're wrong, Kip. You didn't take responsibility in that lackluster apology two decades ago, but hopefully you will soon. And with all of that being said, that is where we're ending today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I will be keeping an eye peeled to see how this progresses and see where these lawsuits go, if anywhere. But for the time being, thank you so much for joining me to the end of today's episode. I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing today, and you chose to spend some time here with me and hear some pretty terrifying things. So thank you for sticking it out to the end. And again, I do hope you learned something new today. Thanks so much for joining me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. The apostles were businessmen. They were rich men, had plenty of money. I'm gonna show you that Jesus was a wealthy man, had plenty of money. And see all of that completely foreign.